Today's reading is taken from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but as alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him, as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lexi. If you can keep your Bibles open to Romans chapter 6. As you know, um, we are a church that goes through books of the Bible, and we went about a month ago, we stopped and we took a break uh, from going through Romans, um, and now we're returning to it, and we'll spend the next six weeks um, going through Romans uh, 5, um, 6, all the way through 8, but let's pray that God will speak to us um, through this text. Lord, we thank you for these words, that these are written not too directly to us, but they are, they, they are written for us, because your words have life, and Lord, we pray you'll speak your life um, to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you recognize the, the, the figures in this photo. They're two famous figures of the Reformation. The first one is Martin Luther, who articulated, uh, who recovered and articulated uh, this principle of Christ alone, uh, grace alone, uh, faith in Jesus alone, that we are saved not by our works, but by, by grace in Jesus Christ alone. But it's not a, it's not a surprise then, as the Reformation rearticulated this biblical principle that we are saved by God's grace alone, that some people take it a bit far, and a heresy comes out. This is actually um, Agric uh, Johannes Agricola, uh, a colleague of Luther in Wittenberg University, who was a friend of Luther, who became a vigorous uh, opponent of Luther later on. It's because he took this idea of grace alone and just took it a little further to say, actually, it doesn't matter now that you sin anymore. 
it's, a, it's a view that's known as antinomianism, uh, if you're interested. But he is famous uh, for saying, if you sin, be happy. It should have no consequences. If you're saved by grace alone, well, what does it matter that you sin? Well, it's the same question, as you can see, in verse 1 of chapter 6. Uh, the, Paul's writing about grace in Jesus alone. And people are asking, verse 1, if you... If, shall, I, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Isn't it a good thing that I sin more so that God's grace will shine even more? I've heard people say, well, it doesn't really matter what people do in bedrooms or what people, how they live their life. Well, we're all saved by grace in Jesus anyway. Why does it matter? We're saved in Jesus. I mean, it's, it's a logic that we sometimes use to justify our sins. Don't we, don't we say things like, well, I'll just give in to this temptation because, well, Jesus has forgiven me for my sin already. Why shouldn't I sin? So that his grace would increase. Well, Paul's answer is clear, and it's in verse 2. By no means. He says, by no means. And here are some other translations. God forbid, King James. Of course not, NLT. May it never be. If I could paraphrase, nine, <laughs> no, ande, that's in Korean, or in Chinese, yateng umhoi, yeah? <laughs> um, or in my children's language, no, 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 may it never be that way. Why not? It's simple. Because we are united with Jesus. We are united with Christ. Those who have been baptized, uh, that means they have been converted. They have united themselves and made themselves at one with Jesus. How could you sin if you are united with Jesus, if his life is your life? No. What we, though those who are truly converted, those who are united with Christ, who count themselves dead to sin and alive in Christ, will try to live that out, live out the new life in Christ, knowing that they are a new creation in Jesus Christ. So let's see what Paul's getting at. I think one of the problems in this world, in modern Christianity, is we often see Christianity as kind of a, taking out an insurance policy. How many insurance do you own? You know, maybe you have uh, health insurance, um, auto insurance, home insurance. Uh, if you've traveled recently, travel insurance. And insurances can be lifesavers, right? There was a person in the church was traveling through Europe a while back, uh, had medical crisis, and she had to be treated and now uh, evacuated back to Hong Kong. It would have cost her hundreds of thousands of dollars, except that her credit card had insurance policy built in, in it, and it was a lifesaver for her. And some people treat Christianity like it's an insurance policy that you're taking out, insurance policy against the future, against the eternity you know, think about the enormity of the consequences. Uh, people say, well, if there is heaven and hell, well, if there is maybe judgment and there is hell, well, I should probably do something about that. And, and people go, well, the cost of what I have to pay is pretty small, isn't it? I mean, it's just trust in Jesus, believing in Jesus. If you put it like that, it's a no-brainer. It's more reasonable to believe in Jesus, isn't it? Uh, that's the logic um, that a brilliant man called Blaise Pascal uh, uh, put forward, uh, Pascal's wager. But, of course, that's not the biblical view of 
Christianity. It's not a biblical view of why you turn to Jesus of salvation. No, it's not a policy. Christianity is not a policy that you take out just in case there is something after life. No, it's about now as well. It's about what's happening now. It's about what's, what the world is like now and what God is doing to address this problem now. We read last month um, in the next slide, uh, chapter 5, that the problem, uh, with, uh, we saw uh, how God, when they saw the world, when he saw the world, he sees two people. It's as if he sees two people, Adam on the one hand and second Adam, Jesus Christ. Adam and all the people who are in him, and Jesus and all the people who are in Jesus. And as you can see, Adam is associated, as we saw last week, uh, last month, uh, associated with trespasses and disobedience and sin and curses, judgment, condemnation, and death, while in Jesus. We're transferred. When we go from Adam to Jesus, we are associated with all that he is, righteousness, uh, life, um, uh, obedience, uh, uh, grace in Jesus Christ. You see, the problem with the world, problem with us is so big that it's not, a little improvement cannot help. God's plan was to create a new humanity in the world through Jesus. And the way we get there is faith in Jesus Christ. We are a new creation in him, and Jesus is described as the firstborn of the new creation. C.S. Lewis put it like this, God became, a man, God became man to turn creatures, in, turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. To produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature to turn a horse to fly. It's a different kind of creature to go from Adam to uh, Jesus. And it's just that faith in Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, that transfers us from the realm of Adam to Jesus. And we, when we have that faith, we're united with Christ. The question why shouldn't I sin more so that grace might increase? Can only be asked by people who consider Christianity as an insurance policy, something about the future. But people who are united with Christ, people who are one with Him, we're not able to ask questions like that. And baptism is, of course, the symbol of a changed identity, isn't it? Take a look at verse 3 carefully. The language of verse 3 will surprise you. The language says, don't you know that all of you, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into Christ Jesus. You're not baptized in the name of Jesus in this passage. Paul's emphasizing something different. You're baptized into Jesus. Once again, he just talked about Adam and Christ in chapter 5. You were in Adam. Now you're baptized into Christ Jesus. And by the way, in the New Testament, uh, New Testament doesn't call Christians Christians, right? Um, it calls us, the, the main way that the Bible describes, New Testament describes Christians is those who are in Christ Jesus, 
in Him, in Christ. That's over, used over a hundred times in the New Testament. We are in Him. We're grafted. We're branches in the vine, in, grafted into Jesus Christ. We're so, sort of members of the body of Christ, connected to the head, Jesus. We are in Him. That's the language. That's the image that Paul uses. We're in Adam before. Now we're in Jesus. We're in Christ. His history is ours. His story is ours. We're united with Him. And Jesus, well, what's His story? What's his, what happened to Jesus? Well, He died Adam's death. He was crucified. And Paul is saying, you, you have now, you, are who, who, you who are united in Christ, with Christ, you have died with Christ there. And you rose again with Him as well. And baptism then is a funeral. It is a funeral, isn't it? When we're lowered under the water, we're dying Adam's death, that death that Jesus died. That's our burial, and we are raised from the water. Again, you are, being, you are now living this, this risen life in Christ Jesus. Shall we sin more? No. We're united with Jesus. Friends, how you see yourself, what your fundamental identity is, is how you, the stories that you tell about yourself is very important because the stories that you tell about yourself will dictate how you live. You know, if you think that you're a boy or a girl, you'll act in a certain way. If you think you're a good person, you'll act in a certain way. Now, if you uh, think yourself as primarily a sort of Korean or Brit or Canadian or whatever, that will have an impact on how you behave. Your identity, how you think of yourself will dictate how you live. Church, if you are a Christian, fundamentally, most, at the most fundamental level, this is who you are. You are in Christ Jesus. You have died, and you have risen again with Him. You know, in many churches, we can't do this because this is, um, we have rent the hall here. About many churches, um, many liturgical churches, you'll see a, f- a baptismal font, not at the front, but at the entrance. Why is that? Well, it's there to remind people as they come in and out that they are baptized people, that they are a new creation, that they have died and risen again with them. You need to remind yourself of that as you enter And you need to remind yourself of that as you go out into the world that you are a new creation in Jesus. You have died and are risen again with Him. But what does that mean? Then when Paul says, we have died with Him, so we're freed. uh, from the." Does that mean that we're freed from the power of sin? What does it mean when he says in verse 6 that we have been crucified with Christ in verse 7, that we're freed from sin. And why do I sin so much still? Why do I struggle with sin so much if I have been crucified with Jesus? Well, one thing that being crucified with Jesus doesn't mean is that we're completely freed from the power of sin. Obviously, we know that from our experience. We might come from a spiritual high of a Sunday morning or a retreat or something like that, you know, you're committed. But then, even in that very evening, 
maybe that afternoon even, you fall hard to the sin um, that you're prone to. Paul will describe this struggle in the next chapter, in, in Romans chapter 7, the struggle that is of every Christian, and the power that frees us uh, from that struggle also in chapter 8. And, but you need to know that even if you have died and risen again with Christ, that the power of sin remains in you, that, the, that, that struggle is important to know because if you don't know that, if your expectation is different, then you will despair. You will doubt your salvation. You'll doubt your position in Jesus. Well, what, does, what does it mean, though, then, that we're crucified with Christ, that sin has died? Well, for now, in this chapter, he'll go on to say other things, but in this chapter, Paul is emphasizing not so much the, the power of God to change us from within. Um, that'll be chapter 8, by the power of the Spirit. But he is emphasizing how just a mere change from going from um, being associated with Adam to Jesus, that changes us. That changes us because what that means is who calls the shots, who our master is, changes in us. That our primary relationship changes. It's no longer with sin and death anymore. It is with Jesus and his resurrection life. Our master has changed. So he says, no longer. Uh, de de death has mastery. Uh, verse 12, do not let sin reign. Do not let sin dictate how you live your life. And he concludes in verse 14, for sin no longer shall be your master. You don't have to obey sin anymore. Your primary relationship is now with Jesus and the resurrection power that is in him. A late Pastor um, Stuart Briscoe um, t recalls this story. He, is, uh, um, uh, he served in the Korean War. He was drafted into the Royal uh, Marines, and, um, yep, Marines, and he served in the Korean War. And while he served, he uh, ran across this really stern sar sergeant major who uh, was stern. <laughs> he picked on everybody for little things like slouching or putting uh, your hands in the pocket or whistling um, even. He just, he was, he instilled terror um, in his soldiers. Well, the war eventually ended and now Briscoe became sort of a normal civilian and he was sitting around somewhere until he saw the sergeant major coming his way. And then his response was immediate. You know, he got tense. He started to go, am I slouching? <laughs> am I whistling? Are <laughs> my hands in my pocket? Until, you know, he realized, actually, this man has no power over me now. I don't have to listen to him. I can slouch if I want to. I can relax as I want to because he no longer had any power over him. Church, that is the first step towards sanctification, to realize that sin, you have been freed from the power of sin, that you don't have to listen to sin anymore, that your primary relationship is now with Jesus, and He calls the shots for you, and it's towards life and righteousness. That is fundamentally who you are, that your identity has been changed. And the second step, then, is to live that out. Verse 11, um, Paul says in verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. 
count yourselves dead to sin. Act like it. Um, count yourselves dead to sin. How, how does this work? Well, let's just take a, a, a little thing, something like idol, um, idolizing status. Maybe the temptation comes in you uh, to push yourself sort of hard, you know, in workplace or, you know, in school or whatever, and to go, actually, I need to be better than other people. I desire, I want this status. I want to feel better or superior to everybody else. I need to achieve more. Well, when that des- desire comes, you say, you know what? I don't need to listen to this, this, this desire anymore. I am in Christ. And in Christ... This God who created the heavens and the earth recognizes me for who I am, loves me, and lifts me up and calls me his own. That's counting ourselves dead to sin and alive in Jesus. We might do this for idolatry of marriage. If you're single and you desperately want to get married, you need to tell yourself, actually, everything that my heart desires, I have in Jesus the intimacy that people crave, that people cannot have, even in marriage, I have in Jesus. Count yourself dead to sin. Or money as security. I I am most secure in Jesus. Money cannot give me security that I crave because it'll go up and down or whatever. It's insecure, but I am secure in Jesus. That is the safest place that I can be. See, our fight against sin starts with recognizing that we are Christ and counting ourselves dead to sin, but also alive to Christ, offering our bodies as instruments of righteousness, as he says in verse 13, not just resisting sin, but actively cultivating, actively offering your eyes, your mind, your hand, your heart, your feet, your body, all of who you are, and offering it as instruments of righteousness, seeing the same right things, thinking about the right things, offering yourself in service, serving people at home, at workplace, in other places, volunteering, serving others, and cultivating virtues, using our time and energy, money um, for the service of his kingdom. Offer yourselves as instruments of righteousness. The work of justification, going from Adam to Jesus, that's instant. But the work of sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, that requires work. That requires constantly reminding ourselves of who we are and counting ourselves dead to sin and alive in Jesus. The preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones tells this story to illustrate um, the state that we're all in. He tells a version of this story. Imagine yourself to be, say, something like African-American slave during the time of civil war. Your life is completely controlled by your masters. Masters tell you when to get up, when to go to bed, how much to eat, when to eat. You know, every part of your life is dictated by your slave masters. And one day you're working in the field and you hear uh, uh, somebody coming to the field. They're shouting. They're shouting and say, you're free, you're free. The proclamation of emancipation has been proclaimed. Now the slaves are declared free all over the United States, no matter where you are. 
when was that freedom given? The moment, the moment that the proclamation was made. Do you feel free in that field? No. You still have that master who can threaten you. You still have these habits that are inside of you, that have developed for over many, many years. But slowly, slowly as he counts himself as a free person, as he acts, as he, as he lives that freedom out, more and more he will be changed. Friends, most fundamentally, fundamentally, you aren't defined by your race or what you achieve or what you do, your performance or even who you think you are inside. No, primarily, most fundamentally, you are defined by your relationship to Jesus. If you're a Christian, Christian, you are in Christ. You have been baptized. His death is yours. His resurrection is your, yours. So count yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the change, the identity that we have in Christ Jesus, that we're no longer slaves to sin, but are alive in you. We're, we're given the, the gift of righteousness, um, justification, eternal life, and we thank you for the spirit that is in us, alive and active, working in us. Lord, help us when we're tempted to sin, that we are, remind, remind us that we're alive in you, that we are new creation in you, that our primary, the most important that relationship that we have is with your son, Jesus, so that he defines who we are and help us to offer every part of who we are as instruments of righteousness. And may we live that life out, that resurrection life, a life that is alive, a life that is righteous, that is holy, that is a preview of what's coming in the future. We thank you that you are here alive, uh, that you are in people's lives, in the kids who, are, who, will be baptized, who will be baptized in Dora's life and in our life as well. Thank you for this reminder. We offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.